Well, hey, church, it is good to be with you. If you're a guest here, you're in the right place. If you're online, we're glad you're with us. If you're down in the mass service, glad you're there. Shout out to you all. I love this series that we're in. Questions that you asked that matter to all of us. And remember, we're going to do it again. So if you've got more questions, send them in during this month. We'll be collecting those and using those to inform future sermon series. I love this series. I also love the season we're in. I love the fall season. You heard Betsy talk about all the stuff that's happening, the launch of college ministry and student ministry and kids ministry, all that stuff. Um, love JC is coming up. I love Love JC. It's a, it's a multi-church service day where we just show up to love the city of Johnson City in practical ways. I will just say the last several years, First Christian Church has really led this effort, um, and I hope we do that again. We need hundreds of you to sign up. It's September 10th. It's just a morning of service. There is so much work that the city has, hey, hey, could you do this? And nonprofits have said, could you help us with this? Uh, We need hundreds of people to show up, hundreds more than have already registered. So if you haven't signed up yet, Give us, give the city of Johnson City three hours in Jesus' name to love them. Uh, you can look online for how to do that, uh, but we need to jump in and get engaged in this. Registration closes next Sunday, so September 10th, uh, register now. Uh, also, the thing you got to do now is lean forward. In the back of the seat in front of you, you're going to find a little card that looks like this. Grab one of those. I think if you're on the front row, it might be under your seat in the little tray. You'll find one. Grab one of these and look at it. It says, love everyone, featured groups, because today is Connect Sunday. We want to make it as easy as possible for everyone to jump in a group. We've got all kinds of different groups. You look on the back. This is just, I mean, we got hundreds of groups. We just listed a few just to give you a sense of what's out there. Uh, one of my favorite new groups we have launching, uh, they call themselves Serve and Study. They meet every other week in rhythm with some of our serving teams. So we have a lot of people who like, they serve on welcome team or they serve somewhere like that. And they're like, it's hard for me to be in a group because I'm serving all the time on Sunday mornings. And this, so this group meets every other week. So you can serve one week and be in the group the other. So maybe you want to check that out. Lots of them for information about age specific groups. How do you sign up? It's super easy. Uh, You can go online, you can call somebody or remember that connection card Betsy mentioned? Just fill it out. On the back, there's a box. You just check, join a group, and somebody will be in touch with you and help you get connected with the right one. And now is the perfect time to do it because we launch a big initiative that starts next week that has a groups component, and you're going to feel left out if you don't jump in a group. So jump in a group. We'll talk more about that initiative next week because today we get to our last cluster of questions from the Glad You Asked series. Now, I say last questions, but really, this is the first set of questions. Way back in January, when I preached the first one of these messages, and I asked people to submit questions, on that very first day, we only had a handful of questions submitted. I forget if we had four questions or six questions, but hardly anybody submitted questions that first day I asked for questions. But even though hardly anybody asked a question, Three of the questions began exactly the same way. Out of that very small handful of questions asked that day, three of the questions started like this. Does God still love me even though? Dot, dot, dot. Hardly anybody asked a question, yet three of them were that question. That was the most urgent question 
this body of believers had to ask on that day. The most pressing question from our community was was that, does God still love me even though? I felt so passionate about it, I, I actually gave a mini answer to the question the next week before I started my planned sermon. I gave a mini answer the week after that before I started my planned sermon, just on the off chance that the person who had asked that question missed the Sunday after. I was sort of brokenhearted. I wear that t-shirt we have, love everyone, I wear it all the time. And yet, still, people asked, does God love me still, even though? And while I'm so sorry the question needed to be asked, I am, I'm sort of brokenhearted that somebody felt like they had to ask that question. I am so glad they did because I am so eager to answer that question today. I mean, it's, an easy, it's the easiest question that God asked in the whole series. All, everything else was a hard question. This one's easy to answer. Uh, but before I answer it, though, I do need to make special note of a question that they did not ask. They did not ask this question. How is God leading me even when? You, you see that those questions are different, right? Well, I'll put them next to each other to make it easy. Does God still love me even though is not the same question as how is God leading me even when? Now, let's be clear. That second question is a super important question. Asking honestly what the leadership of God looks like in our life in every situation is a super important question. And I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be straight with you. I like it when people ask that question. I want people to ask that. I, I, all the time, I feel like, why aren't you asking, how is God leading me even when? Like, I look at the world and I think, man, the world would be a lot better place if more people were asking the question, how is God leading me? I look at some of you all, and I'm like, your lives would be a lot better if you were asking the question, how is God leading me? Now, to be clear, sometimes I want people to ask this question for sort of petty reasons. If people ask me the question, Ethan, how is God leading me, then I get to focus on their problems instead of my own. That's nice. I also like it when people ask me this question because I have opinions about other people's lives. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You have opinions about other people's lives too. And you sort of think those people ought to really care what you think about their life. And you're sort of annoyed that they seem to not care very much what you think about their life. And you know how much better off they'd be if they cared a little more about what you thought about their life. Yes, I have some petty reasons for wishing people asked that question. But I have some good reasons, too. I wish people would ask, how is God leading me? Because God's word does have clear teaching that does lead us in, in many situations of our life for how we can live lives that please God and honor God and, and give God glory. 
I also wish people would ask this question because I know that obedience to God's word actually leads to blessing. And that when we submit and obey the way God is leading us, it's actually awesome. You know, I sort of look around the world and I'm kind of like, if only, right? If only more people asked the question, how is God leading me? And then lived in obedience to that. So yeah, for some petty reasons and for some good reasons, I wish people had asked, how is God leading me even when? I wish they'd asked that. Because here's what I know. I know this. Everyone that God loves, God leads. Everyone our Heavenly Father loves, our Heavenly Father leads. That's actually part of the expression of God's love is leading us. Uh, Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. I also know this, everyone that God loves, God lovingly leads. It isn't just that love is the source of God's leadership, it's also the mode of God's leadership. God leads us lovingly. Jesus says this, come to me all you who are weary or burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke. A yoke is the big wooden thing that an ox wore to pull a plow. It doesn't sound easy and light, but Jesus says, yeah, no, being led by me is easy and light. I also know this. Everyone that God loves, God lovingly leads for loving purposes. The leadership of God not only flows out of God's love and is expressed lovingly, the purpose of God's leadership is love. Hebrews 12 says this, the proverb says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as a discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They, our human fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but rather painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The English word discipline can be read a couple ways. Uh, Sometimes we kind of read it and we focus on punishment, right? We think discipline means like spankings or timeouts, you know? Um, Timeouts if you're under 40, spankings if you're over 40, but you get what I'm saying, okay? Um, We we think that's what discipline means, but but that isn't what what this, uh, the word being translated here isn't about punishment. It's about all that went into the loving nurture of a child into maturity. The whole thing, all that we do to raise up children to be mature morally and spiritually and physically. And and the Bible just says, yeah, this is what God does for us. And God does it to accomplish loving purposes in our lives. So here's what I know. Everyone that God loves, God lovingly leads for loving purposes. And that's why I sort of wish people would ask me, how is God leading me? 
even in this situation? I, I wish they'd asked that question. But they didn't. Not one of you asked that question. Nobody said, Ethan, what's your opinion on the moral choices I should make in my life? I don't know why. I have really good opinions. But three people on the first day asked this question. And as much as I wish they'd asked the other, they asked a more important question. Because they asked the question that must be answered first. As much as I wish they had asked, how is God leading me? Here's what I know from my own life and from a lifetime of walking a spiritual journey with others. Here's what I know. No one cares how God leads until they believe that God loves. It never happens. No one who thinks God hates them is super interested in God's wisdom. Further to the point, no one trusts how God leads until they believe that God loves. All the time, people, they hear what the Bible teaches about some moral matter, and they're like, that's crazy. That, I don't believe that. I don't trust that that is a path of goodness. Why don't they trust it? Well, because they don't believe God loves them. Nobody trusts how God leads until they believe that God loves. And that's why. When I got these questions, and I thought about the people in our body who weren't sure anymore if God loved them, there was one in small, neat handwriting. Does God still love me even though I'm a lesbian? There was one in big, shaky handwriting. Does God still love me even though I'm getting a divorce? There was one at the end of a carefully worded note. Does God still love me even though I have all these doubts? I read the questions, and because I'm a little bit self-centered, um, the first thing that happened was my heart broke for me. I thought to myself, how bad a pastor am I? How bad a preacher am I that people in my church don't know the answer to this question? How much have I failed in my calling that they don't know. But once I got over myself, even more, of course, my heart broke for them. Because the answer to their question is yes. I mean, I don't want to spoil it. This is a super easy sermon. It's yes. That's the answer to the question. Yes. Yes. And they didn't know. Maybe they hoped but they weren't sure. And I just thought, 
about people maybe I knew, maybe I loved, maybe I'd sat with them at a potluck. I don't know who wrote these notes, but, but I just thought about these people and I thought that even for one minute, they weren't sure. Just think about that. Just pause for a second. If you're one of the lucky few today who know God loves you, you just pause for a second and you think about the people you care about. You think about the people in this room. I, I, I really don't know who wrote these questions, but they might be here today. And you just think about the person who for even one minute didn't know the answer to that question. I know, I know for me, the worst minutes of my whole life, worse than any funeral I've ever been to, worse than any confession I've ever had to make, anytime I've ever let you, the worst moments of my whole life have been those moments where I wasn't quite sure about the answer to that question. I've never had a worse moment in my life. So, even though the question broke my heart, I am so truly glad you asked. And my guess is that there are other versions of that question that could have been asked. Maybe if you finished that question, you would put something different at the end. I've had about nine months to think about these questions. In that time, I tried to remember all the other versions of that question that I've heard. Not the ones I've imagined, but the ones that I could put a a name and a face to and a time to when somebody asked me a version of that question. Here's just a short list. I've had somebody ask me this. Does God still love me even though I have gender dysphoria? And I just don't feel like I fit with the, the sex of my body. It just, I just sort of hate my, who I am, and I wish I was something different. I've been asked this, does God still love me even though I'm trans or non-binary? I've been asked this one a bunch. Does God still love me even though I failed as a parent? And there's no way I can fix it. I've been asked this one. Does God still love me even though I failed as a kid to honor my parents and love my parents? And also, there's no way I can fix it. I got asked one time, does God still love me even though I've lost my faith and don't believe in God anymore? That's a curious question. Someone who wants to know if a God they don't believe in loves them. I was talking one time with a guy. He called up. He wanted to know, does God still love me even though I gave up on the church years ago and I'm never going back? But yet he called me to ask me that question. When I hear these questions, I have noticed in myself an odd tendency. My tendency is to tell them what to do. 
to just start right into all the biblical advice that I have for them. No matter how they put the question, my first instinct is to say, well, you ought to get back to church. The Bible says, here's what you ought to do in a situation like yours. Well, if I was in your shoes, here's what you need to know. The Bible says do this and don't do that. And if you do that, you'll honor God. But that isn't what they asked me. And they probably aren't even ready for that answer. Here's what I've discovered in my own faith journey and in the faith journey of so many others. Nobody is ready to consider where God is leading them if they do not trust that God loves them. So today I'm just going to answer the question they asked. And when I read those questions, or I think about all the versions I've been asked over the years, does God love me even though I'm a lesbian? I'm getting a divorce. I have doubts. I wasn't a good son. I wasn't a good mother. I think I know why this collection of people asked that question. Why they, you know, you think about the end of those sentences, they don't have a lot in common, right? Some of them are life circumstances or internal realities. Some of them are about behaviors and things you did or things that happened to you. There's not much in common with the second half of those questions. But I do think I know why they ask. It's not just because they're worried that somehow they've displeased God. I've never, ever once had a gossip ask me, can God still love me even though I'm a gossip? Not once. Never asked that question. Some grumpy, complaining curmudgeon who's been complaining about everything since they were 20 and now they're 80. Never have they come in my office and wondered, preacher, can the Lord of heaven still love me even though I complain about everything? By the way, your last sermon was terrible. I've never been asked that question. What do these questioners have in common? I think it's because they've been unloved by God's people. And when we are unloved by God's people, we start to think God must not love us either. That's just what I think they have in common. I think that's why people ask it about divorce. Uh, My grandpa was a preacher for... I don't know, 40, 50 years, uh, then he ended up teaching ministry over at Emmanuel. Uh, when I was a young preacher, I t- studied at Emmanuel, and he was my ministry professor. I remember one day, uh, my grandpa, he, he said this. He said, when I was a young minister, the church, and he didn't just meant his church, he meant tons and tons and tons of churches. When I was a young minister, the church was very cruel to those who got a divorce. Eventually, we figured out that we could still uphold the permanence of marriage and love divorced people at the same time. But it took us way too long. And we drove so many people 
from the church. That's what my grandpa remembered. We drove so many people from the church. In my own experience, I have known people who have been kicked out of their homes and kicked out of their churches because they opened up to one person about their experience of same-sex attraction or they shared their confusion with their gender identity. They just weren't sure what it all meant. I've heard Christians make gay jokes and mock trans and non-binary people. When God's people show someone no love, it is reasonable that they will believe that God does not love them. In my own memory, I think it was 12 years ago, it could have been a little more, it could have been a little less, that I spent the night in prayer vigil for a young person that was trying to commit suicide because they were convinced God did not love them because their church was cruel to them. And for them, the calculus was simple. If God's people did not love them, God did not love them, and so they wanted to die. Even something as simple as doubt, which all of us have from time to time at moments in our life. I've known people who were shunned by their Christian community when they expressed doubts and questions. So I know why they ask, does God still love me? Have you ever heard that phrase? Um, Let me see if I can get it right. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Some of you have been around Christian circles for a while. You would have heard that phrase. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Now, I'm going to let you know. As far as I can tell, that is a theologically accurate phrase. I think the theology of that phrase is sound. But if I'm I'm being... Sometimes when I see people apply that sentence... It sure looks a lot more like hate the sin and only love the sinner if they clean themselves up real quick, like preferably by tomorrow. And if not, go ahead and hate the sinner too. I'm just saying that's what it looks like. The theology of it's sound. I'm not arguing the logic. I'm just saying in practice. Which is, of course, quite the opposite of how God works. God says, God, Romans says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. God wants to prove to the world how much he loves us. So while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can you imagine the conversation that the angels would have had with God? They're like, so God, are you going to wait till they repent a little bit? Nope. What about till they clean up their act? Nope. What about till they say their story? Nope. What about till they acknowledge you as the sovereign of the universe and you are above all things and they're sort of nasty and whatever? Nope. I'm just going to die for them while they're still sinners because I got to prove I love them before any other conversation takes place. When the church stops treating people with love, so quickly and so readily 
Because we find out some part of their life or some part of their identity that we don't feel all super about and doesn't exactly fit in or we don't think is what God would have them do. And maybe you're even right. I'm just telling you, when we stop loving that quick, we are very unlike our God about whom Paul writes, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Imagine what it would look like if the church walked around loving people like this. Like if this is just how we move through the world, so full of grace that we could confidently say, nothing will separate you from our love. Test us and see. See if you can, we dare you to get us to stop loving you. You won't succeed because we are the faithful children of our heavenly father. And if nothing can separate you from his love, then nothing can separate you from ours. We will suffer and die in his place before we will let ourselves stop loving you. These questions that I have heard that came in, that in some ways they're all so different. All the even those are completely different kinds of things. But they have this in common. They made people wonder if God loved them. And I think it might be because they made people wonder if we would love them. That's my theory. I remember Jesus and how he loved the very people that were despised and rejected by the good church-going types of his day. I mean, there's so many stories, you know, you could, you could talk about Zacchaeus or the woman at the well or Matthew the tax collector, or Peter the denier, Thomas the doubter. Do you know the one from John 8? Look with me, John 8 here. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to find some basis to accuse Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. We have no idea what he wrote. But wouldn't you love to? But we don't. They kept questioning him. And finally, he straightened up. Stood up, big and tall. He says, all right. Let anyone hear who is without sin, you throw first. And then he went back down to writing who knows what on the ground. 
At this, the Bible says, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman miraculously still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where where'd they go? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go. Leave your life of sin. Now, you'll find in that last verse just what we expected to discover, won't you? We said, those God loves, God leads. And there we find it, right in that last verse. Everyone that God loves, God leads. But before we get to that last line, look with me for just a minute at the broader situation. First of all, notice it's a situation of injustice. Oh, sure, she broke the law, and that might be justice, but where's the fella, right? It takes two to tango, but only one gets dragged publicly through the streets as the men gather stones. Where's the fella in the picture? Why is one person's sin the subject of ridicule, shame, and public terror? And another one ignored. Secondly, notice... It's a trap. The religiously self-righteous have gathered together to condemn this woman and to trap Jesus. How did they know it was a trap? Like, couldn't have Jesus just said, yep, that's what the law says, enforce the law. How did they know this was a trap? Because they knew Jesus. And they knew Jesus would find a way to choose love over condemnation. It only makes sense as a trap if they are so in touch with the character of Jesus, they know that Jesus is going to find a path of love. And then notice how fully and practically Jesus loves the woman. First, he refuses to join in with the mockers and accusers. Second, he protects her from the bullies and the mob. Third, he humbles everyone there in their shared condition as breakers of God's law. And then finally, he just flat out saves her life. That's a pretty solid way to prove you love somebody. Protect them from the bullies. Refuse not to mock. Save their life. And then once she knows, he loves her. He does, as God always does. Lead. But listen to what he says. I do not condemn you. The only one there that day who passed the test, right? What was the test? If anyone is without sin, pick up a stone and throw it. 
Jesus is the only one who could have passed his own test. And he could have said, well, nobody else is here, but I haven't sinned. Find me a rock. But he doesn't. The only one who met the standard says, I won't do it. And Jesus Christ still declares, I will not condemn you. And I just wonder if you have made the same choice toward all the people that Jesus says he won't condemn. Have you made the same choice and said, I also will not condemn you? And then... He leads her. And that, of course, is always and the only time when the leadership of God makes sense. When a person is convinced of the demonstration of God's love. But notice, even there, Jesus' commitment to non-condemnation is not dependent on her future obedience. Praise God, right? He says, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he never adds, by the way, I'll be watching and condemnation could come soon. No, the declaration of his non-condemnation is not dependent on her future obedience. Praise God or I'm out. I was a great math student once. I hear there's a shortage of math teachers. If the declaration of the non-condemnation of Jesus Christ is dependent on obedience, I'm going to go teach math. Because I'm done. And when Jesus does this, all he's doing is exactly what he told Nicodemus he was here to do. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night. He says, what are you about? What is going on here? And Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And if God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, God certainly did not send his church to condemn the world. So, in light of this, Lord, And in light of this good news, let me just simply answer what I suppose should have been the shortest sermon of the series. I'm so glad you asked. If God still loves you, even though, because the answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, God loves you. I mean, you don't even, I don't even need the even though, but add it if it helps. Put whatever even though in there you need to and then hear me say yes. Now, yeah, as you come to believe God loves you, you will discover that God leads you. And when you really believe God loves you, you will want God to lead you. And when you really, really Believe God loves you. You will rejoice that God is leading you. 
And together, the community of people who believe God loves them will study God's word to seek God's leadership and and will, will call one another to obedience to that leadership. And we might not always agree. I may think God's word clearly leads this way. And you may think it's not as clear as I think it is. And I'll think you're wrong when you think that. And you'll probably think I'm wrong. And I might think you're sinning. And you'll definitely think I'm sinning. And guess what? When we get to that point, we'll both be right. None of us are fully following the leadership of God. None of us fully understand the leadership of God. And and of course, we're going to teach it. I'll still preach plenty of sermons that say God is leading us in this way and we should respond obediently to the love of God. But none of that none of it will separate us from the love of God. None of it How much? None of it. A little bit? Nope. Some? No. None of it. None of it. And wouldn't it be great if we could say it also would never separate you from the love of God's people? Wouldn't that just be great? If we could just say as confidently that it won't separate you from the love of God, that it won't separate you from the love of me. Because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ that is expressed through his death and love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is expressed through his son. And nothing can separate you from the salvation of God for those who are trusting in Christ. I'm not much of a theologian. The complicated ideas elude me. But I know this, church. We are saved by grace or we are not saved. Obedience is a blessing that God wants for your life. I'll preach it. I'll call you to it. I hope you do the same to me. But it does not and cannot save you And it does not make God love you. Again, if that were the path, I hear there's a shortage of math teachers. God already loves you. God still loves you. We are saved by grace or we are not saved. There is no, I don't don't have a third strategy. And we are loved by God. Every one of us. At all times. Even though. No matter what. In every circumstance. For all eternity. Until the day of salvation. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me and we're going to worship together? We're going to worship the God who loves us and leads us. If today's the day you need to give your life to him and just say, I want to trust in his love today and be obedient to his leadership today, maybe you can come forward. Maybe today's the day you want to place membership in this church. I'll meet you right down there. Maybe you just need prayer because you're, you're in that minute, that awful minute where you don't know the answer to the question and I just want to pray for you. I want to pray over you until the Spirit confirms what I've said, that the answer is yes. 
Let's worship together. If you need prayer today or to join the church today, come meet me up front.